We have been, the last several weeks, working our way through the book of Matthew and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He has gone up on a mountain, he has sat down with them, and he is instructing them, saying, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and and this is what it means. If you are going to be in my kingdom, this is the kind of person that you will be. And he's been instructing them about the kinds of people who are blessed. That was how chapter 5 of Matthew began. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And on he goes. And then he instructs his people and he says, look, some people have said that I don't take righteousness seriously, but I want you to know that I take righteousness very seriously. And if you are going to be in the kingdom of heaven, you must take righteousness very seriously. In fact, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You must be very, very righteous. And he starts to walk through different things by saying, you have heard that it was said You have heard that it was said to those of old, this is how you must live. And he quotes uh, the Ten Commandments. He quotes the teachings of the Pharisees. He quotes from various places saying, you have heard this is what the standard is, but here's what I want to tell you. The standard is much higher, much higher. You you have heard that it was said, uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He's been raising the standard, and so we've been uh, working through uh, anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation, and now we come to uh, this final section of the sermon, of this part of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 43, and this is what it says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said. What's he talking about this time? What's the section this time? You shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. That's the one you should should love. In in, uh, Leviticus 19, um, God is... uh, speaking to his people. Actually, Moses is speaking on behalf of God to the people and saying, this is how the Lord instructs you to live. And rehearsing again, sort of the Ten Commandments, and this is the standard and why you should do this. And so this is part of that in Leviticus 19, uh, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's a good commandment, isn't it? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. 
In fact, in uh, chapter 19 of Leviticus, uh, this is the refrain. This is what you should do because I am the Lord. This is what you should do because I am the Lord. This is what you should do because I am the Lord. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Did you know that that said that in Leviticus? I know all of you are familiar with, with Jesus saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you know it was all the way back in Leviticus too? That this was the instructions from God to his people, that the people who are around you, your brothers, you should not hate your brothers, you should love your brothers. Your neighbors, you should love your neighbors. You should get along with them. These are the people who are close to you. These are your kinsmen, your countrymen, the people who um, are closest to you, and you should love them. You should take care of them. But if you listen to this and then you hear what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I, I don't remember reading that in Leviticus, that you should hate your enemy. There, there seems to have been uh, this understanding that we were to love our neighbors, and then the implication was, but hate your enemies, right? We've read the imprecatory psalms, those psalms of David, bash the babies against the rocks of my enemies, those kinds of things, and we go, whoa, whoa, David. But this apparently is, is how... Um, this was taken. You shall love your neighbor, and conversely, you shall hate your enemies. You shall despise your enemies. But, Jesus says, this is what I say to you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In, in Leviticus 19, verse 33, uh, so just a little further down from the love your neighbor piece, it says this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall, not do to, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who, who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, this wasn't an enemy. This was just a sojourner, somebody who was passing through. But Jesus was saying, here's, here's somebody from out of town who comes through who's obviously not a brother, not a neighbor, somebody who's passing through, someone from somewhere else. And if they are passing through, you should treat them like a neighbor. You should love them as you love yourself also. And Jesus, I think, is taking that and is saying, look, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but what I'm telling you is you shall love your neighbor and you shall love your enemies. And you should pray for those who persecute you. So I, I just, because I've been reading through this and thinking through this, I was thinking, okay, so who are my enemies? Right? Who, who are your enemies? Who, who would you say is your enemy? Now, if you're like me, you go, I don't have any enemies. I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I know these verses, and I'm not supposed to have any enemies because I'm a Christian, so I don't have any. Is that what it said? Was this the instruction of Jesus to his followers? His instruction was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall have no enemies? No. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, I, I think that we have 
somehow taken this to mean we're not allowed to have any enemies. And so, because we feel like if I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm not allowed to have any enemies, then we refuse to call them enemies. Those people who are against us, those opponents, adversaries, people who uh, don't align with us, we might say. That's a euphemism for enemies. Right? Because we're not allowed to. We don't allow ourselves to have enemies. Here's, here's how I think we think as Christians. You know, Jesus, you've been raising the bar on all these other things, raising the standard on all these other things, then saying that um, now not just murder, but anger is not okay, not just adultery, but lust is not okay. You've been raising the standard on all these other things, but when it comes to this love your enemy piece, I'm so holy, Jesus, I don't even need this command. I don't even have any enemies. I, I, I don't think Jesus meant to set us up to this place where suddenly, oh, you're right, my bad, I, I don't even know why I included this. In fact, if, if we go back a little bit to uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 5, verse 10, it said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the expectation that Jesus has is that you are going to have people who are against you. You are going to have enemies. You may not want to call them enemies, and it might be um, uncouth to do so. But these people who are your opponents, who are against you, these people who are adversaries, persecuting or uttering false things against you, evil things against you, these are people that, in this context, I think we would label as enemies. These are people who are enemies. So now let's stop and say, okay, now who are my enemies? Who are the people who seem to be against me? Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes you, you feel like, why am I competing with a family member? Or why is it that this family member seems to have it out for me? Why is it that I can do nothing right in their eyes? Why do they seem to be against me all the time? Sometimes it's a neighbor, right? That person that lives right there and, ah! Why can't they be reasonable? Those people that you've thought about moving because of them? Why can't they be a normal person? Why can't they just leave me be? Maybe it's a coworker or somebody at work. Maybe it's a boss that it just seems like, I, I have to walk on eggshells all the time because this person seems to be against me. It, it doesn't matter what I do. They just seem to have it out for me. Maybe it's somebody in the community. Maybe it's, it's somebody that you just sort of, you're online and you wrote something and then they wrote something back and then you wrote something back and then they wrote something back and then you wrote something back with all caps and exclamation points might be an enemy. 
if you had to bust out the all caps and exclamation points, I'm just saying, might be an enemy. So if we're talking about those kinds of people, if we're talking about the kinds of people who are against us, the kinds of people who persecute us, the kinds of people who want to cause problems for us and don't have our good in mind, if we're talking about those kinds of people, now can we identify anyone? And what do we do with them? Because when somebody doesn't have my good in mind for me, then I don't have their good in mind for them. That's just my natural reaction. When they come at me, I can come and write back. You want to go? Bring it. With words. I'm not really a physical violence kind of guy. I'm more of a runaway kind of guy. But what Jesus says here is, look, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do we do that? It's so hard to love people who are against us. I don't feel like I have the energy for that. It's, it's wearing just to have them be against you. How do we love them? How do we seek their good? How do we be kind to them? How do we help them when they're in need? How do we pray for them? It's a challenging thing. I mean, really, it's a challenging thing. If there is somebody who is against you, it is really hard to pray for them. But I, I think it does something to my heart to pray for them. It doesn't maybe make them no longer my adversary. It doesn't make them no longer against me. But somehow, as I pray for them, I start thinking about God's perspective toward them. And I start thinking about their perspective toward God. Rather than their perspective toward me, I start thinking about their relationship with God rather than their relationship with me. And then I'm able to pray for them a little bit differently. Because otherwise, what happens when I go to prayer is I go, God, these people are against me. Please make them stop. I'm not really praying for them so much as I am praying for me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think that it's important when there are adversaries coming. I mean, we see this in the Psalms all over the place, right? That, that David has people who are against him, and he is praying, God, would you get me out of this jam? God, would you deliver me from my enemies? There's nothing wrong with that. But I think now Jesus is taking it a step above that and saying, not only pray for your deliverance from your enemies, but pray for your enemies. Frankly, I don't want them to win. They're my enemies. 
Why should I pray for their peace and prosperity? Why should I pray for their good? I don't want that. That might be to my own detriment. Why would I pray for them? Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, so that you may be your heavenly Father's children. That is why you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that we might be called the children of God. Verse, uh, verse 9, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now he's bringing this children of God, sons of God, back in, right? This was, we heard it here, blessed are the peacemakers, and we kind of went, what, is, what does that mean? How do you do that? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And now he spells it out a little bit more clearly. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So that we can be called children of God. We're going to make peace with them. They may not want peace with us, but we're going to live at peace with them. We're going to love them. We're going to do good and want good for them. We're going to pray for them that God might do some kind of a miraculous work in them. We pray for them. We, we want to make sure that while we're doing this, like we've been walking through these different things, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. I want to just point out what had been happening. Where had they been hearing these things? People had been reading the Bible, they'd been interpreting it, and they were saying, this is what that means. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We have to be really careful about false teachings. Right? We have to go back to what does the Scripture say and follow that. We don't want to follow f- false teachings like these Pharisees were. You have heard it said this, but here's what I want to say to you, Jesus says. Right? So we don't want to, to be like the Pharisees where we're following these false teachings. We don't want to, to be like the Pharisees um, who uh, follow the false teachings of um, you have heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemies, Right? We're being told that a lot right now. We're being told that a lot right now. You shall hate your enemies. We're being told that if you don't hate your enemies, you're not really loving your neighbor. Look, we have to band together because they're against us and they're going to destroy the world. And so we have to be against them and we must defeat them. And we must destroy them so that they don't destroy us and the world. This is is the commentary that is out there. We have enemies and we must defeat them. We must destroy them. We must love our own. We must protect our own and be against those who are against us. 
So that's a commentary that's out everywhere, and then you get into the church, and it's like, oh, no, I don't have any enemies because I'm a good Christian, and I'm not allowed to have any enemies, and so I don't. That's the kind of good Christian that I am. What about the people that you're supposed to destroy? Yes, we hate them, but they are not our enemies because I don't have any enemies. We just have to come back and say, okay, Jesus, what is it that you want? What is it that you have to say to us? Who are you? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is how we're going to make peace. We're going to love our enemies and we're going to pray for those who persecute us. We are not going to win through conquest. We're not going to defeat our enemies that way. We are going to love them and pray for them and let God win all of his battles. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This to me is incredible. It is not that God doesn't have any enemies, but somehow in his mercy, he causes the sun to rise both for the just and for the unjust, both for the good and for the evil. He makes his rain fall for the just and for the unjust. The crops come up. He provides food. He provides shelter. He provides for the things that we need day after day after day. He has this general love and grace that is available to everyone. And I just look at it and go, why? Why, God? Why don't you do it the way that I think you should do it? Why don't you do it in the just way that I think you should do it? Which would be this. I'm just going to say, this is how I would do it. If you're mean to people, your crops don't work. That's how I would do it. If you're mean to people, if you're nasty, then you don't get to win. Every time, that's how it would work. Bad guys go to jail, their stocks fail, their money fails, their power fails every time. That is how I would do it. Why doesn't he do it that way? Wouldn't it be so obvious then how good God is? Because every time somebody did something evil, there would be consequences and everybody could see it and they'd go, oh, they were a bad guy. You know how I know? It failed. They're a good guy. They won. I would love to see that. But he doesn't. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And I think Romans 5, chapter 10, uh, 5 verse 10 explains why. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, here's the problem with my plan. My plan that says only the just get good things and the unjust get bad things, that I'm in the wrong category for my own plan. Here I am, thinking that I am good and should be getting good things, and you know what? I'm not. And so every time I did something wrong, I would get the just, um, the just punishment for my sin. And while I think, hey, look, I may not be the most wealthy person in the world, but probably somewhere in the middle because I'm kind of that kind of good, God would go, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? You have been opposed to me. You have not submitted to me. You have not followed me. You have been unjust. You have played favorites. You do not deserve all that you think you deserve. In fact, you are an enemy of me. You are an enemy of God. But while we were enemies, God has reconciled us. While we were his enemies, he looked at us and said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to love you. I'm going to love you so much, my enemy, that I am going to send my son to die on the cross for your sin. That is how great my love is for you. Are there people who do not accept that? Are there people who are um, willingly, obstinately remaining an enemy of God? Yes. But not because he didn't extend love toward them. And we who have been loved by him and who are now called his children because he has adopted us into his family were at one time enemies of his. And brought into his family only because he loved his enemies so much that he died for their sins. In fact, he says, For if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only love those who love you, verse 46, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Don't even the tax collectors, people did not like the tax collectors. If you want to think of an enemy of the people that Jesus is talking to, tax collectors, definitely one of them. These people are betraying us, taking our money, often extorting us for more than we actually owe so that they can pocket the profit themselves so that they can turn that money over to our oppressors, the Roman government who is over us. These tax collectors are among the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, look, you need to love your enemies and pray for those. Here's an enemy example. Don't they even do the thing that you think you should be doing? Oh, Jesus, don't do that. Don't we hate to see our enemies doing things better than we ourselves do them? 
it just makes me feel so bad about myself. And I think that Jesus is going, look, if you just love those who love you, don't even the tax collectors do that? What would your reward be? Why do we do that? Why do we love the people who love us? It feels good. If I love them and they love me, we, I, it, I just enjoy loving somebody who loves me. And maybe if I love them, then they'll have my back. And so when I need help, they'll help me. But even the tax collectors do that. Even they look out for their own. Even they watch out for their own kind, love their own kind, help their own kind. Even the lowest of the low do that. And then you've already received your reward. You've already received their love. But if you want to be a child of God, if you want to... um, If you want to receive His love, then you should be like Him, and then you should love your enemies and pray for those who are against you. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? This is verse 47. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You're stepping on toes now, Jesus. Stepping on toes. Do not even the Gentiles, the Gentiles, come on. Those barbarians, Jesus said, look, you're doing the same thing as what anyone would do. Anyone of any standing, of any stature, anywhere loves people that love them. They love the people who are close to them. You're not any better than anybody else if that's your standard. But you, therefore, verse 48, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect, complete, meeting its its goal accomplishing all that you were intended and created to be. This is who God has made you to be, and if you are going to completely fulfill all that God has created you to be, then this is how you will live. You will love your enemies and pray for them. You will love them and you will pray for them. Back in Leviticus 19, you remember I was saying that all through Leviticus 19, he was saying, this is what you should do because I am the Lord. This is what you must do because I am the Lord. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, at the beginning of all of that, it says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You want to be set apart, separate, a different kind of people. You want to be perfect, complete, all that you should be because i that is who I am as God. I was talking with Rick this week about all of these passages and about how we keep going through and Jesus keeps raising the bar and raising the bar. You've heard it said that this, but I tell you, you must be that. I, you heard it said that this, but I say you must be that. And he's raising the bar and raising the bar. And Rick said, yes, but it's, he's not raising the bar just to make it uh, uh, unobtainably high. 
He's saying, this is who I am. I am the bar. This is who I am. I am holy. I am perfect. I am good. I am love. I am grace and mercy and compassion and justice. This is who I am. And if you want to be my people, this is who you must be. You must be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you're like me, you go, I, I, I can't. Even if I wanted to, which I don't always, but even if I wanted to and was trying really hard, I can't. It is an unobtainably high bar, God. How would I reach it? How could I possibly be your child? How could I possibly ever be what you have created me to be? I seem to be merely a failure over and over again. How can I be yours? How could I love my enemies? How could I avoid lust? How can I not be angry? How could I do any of these things? God, I fail at every point. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus is instructing his disciples and is saying, look, this is what you've heard the bar is. And I'm telling you, that's not even close to what I'm calling you to. And I know that you can't meet it. And that is why I have come. I have come both to reveal the standard and to make it possible for you to come and meet that standard. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God because in the flesh, in his humanity, he did that which we can never do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled all that mankind was created to be. And so when he was saying, this is what you need to be, this is what you need to be, this is what you need to be, it wasn't just words, but actions. This is what it looks like. And so Jesus came and he walked to the cross and said, I give my life for you so that you might be reconciled to me. In fact, that is the thing that we are going to celebrate this morning. The worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in another song. And while they are singing that song, there are two tables, one here and one toward the back. 
and you can come and you can uh, get the bread and you can get the cup and we will take communion together to remind ourselves that we can't meet the standard, but that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are yet made righteous and acceptable and holy to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that there are people that we don't appreciate. There are people that we don't like. There are people that we hate. There are people who are against us and opposed to us, and so, Father, we have been against and opposed to them. Lord, we want to acknowledge before you this morning that they are there. Father, we pray that you would help us to love them though they hurt us, though they are against us and seek our harm. Lord, we pray that we would not retaliate, but that we would seek their good and love them. Father, we pray even here and even now for those enemies. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would be um, incredibly kind and gracious and compassionate toward them. We pray that you would open their eyes to see the truth, that they might experience your love and forgiveness that they might know as we know that Jesus' death and resurrection has saved us from our sins so that even while we were enemies, we might be made children, your children. Lord, we pray for our enemies that they might know and experience the same thing. We pray that they would no longer be enemies, but that they would be called brothers and neighbors and sisters and family members not because we refuse to acknowledge the evil that they do or have done, but because you have transformed them into your people as you have transformed us into your people. And so, Lord, now we celebrate what you have done for us and the hope that we have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.